Hi, guys. Welcome to this week's episode of the Leadership to Wealth podcast. I'm your host, as always, Neil D'Souza. And our guest today is a proud graduate of the University of Missouri. And he's also co-founder of Trinity Products. Now, as chairman, he's taken that business from $6 million to over $275 million in sales. And we're really curious to get into how he did that, what leadership has changed for him, and of course, his most recent book, and we'll get to talk about that. Our guest today, Robert Griggs. Robert, how are you doing today? Great, Neil. Doing fantastic. And thanks for having me. Uh, It's always fun to talk about uh, leadership and leading people because I think it's one of the unsung skills uh, in today's environment, always has been. Uh, Leading people is really, really hard. It's painful (laughs) and it's also rewarding. It's both edges of the sword. So great to be with you today. Well, I'd, I'd love to kick off right with what you just shared there. Leadership is is hard or painful, but yet it's rewarding. Can you say something about that? Yeah, um, uh, people are just, people want to follow, not a person normally, they end up being the person, but people want to follow some ideals, right? And they want to follow particularly people that are truthful and honest and care and have empathy. And so, I don't know why I have those leadership skills. I know it's genetic. Okay. We do a lot of uh, personality testing in our leadership group and my empathy is off the charts, but I'm also tough and a realist that I realize this is a business. And so people have gravitated to me on my life because I'm fair and I tell the truth. Uh, It's painful, but it's also a learned skill. Um, And I talk about it all the time. In your 20s, you're uh, cocky and you want to go someplace and you want to do something and you uh, occasionally want to put people in headlocks, which is not a great skill set. Okay, but it also gets you to a place where you become established Uh, in your 30s. You start to get more refined. Um, You probably have some kids. I had kids at and I'm looking at a picture of my two little boys here that are probably three and two. Uh, you become a father. Uh, you see some fatherhood in the employees you have and because there's a lot of young people involved. Then at 40, you really start to learn something like, I'm not really important. I'm not as important as I thought I was. And I shouldn't be the person that's the lead on this. It's all the other people. And particularly when you hit 50 you just have some great, great insight, right? And you're not trying to prove anything. And so you really become people, a person that you go, hey man, let's all have fun. Uh, let's, let's grow a business. Let's share the profits. Let's share the excitement and let's share the pain, right? Because in every business, listen, it's painful, okay? I went through uh, uh, some recessions. I went through uh, the Iraq war, which was scary. We went through 9-11. Uh, we went through China taking us on uh, on the steel industry and the steel business. So I would tell you, I remember 
the downs more than the ups because there's bigger scars. There's more stitches in those. So that's a lot of what it is. And, and, you know, when I talk to young leaders, I go, you have to mature and it's going to happen just because you get hit and you have scars. Oh my goodness. Some great stuff there. And you're even laying out some of my life uh, as you share there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All of our lives, if you've been in leadership, it's it's so interesting that we do find that a commonality. I mean, the person that that sees massive success when they're young is actually rare, and yet yep. the number of people that see huge success as they get older is actually much more common. And and you just kind of laid out a number of the things that really occurred. What's there, funny is when you look at dot coms and some of those things, there yeah. are some happenstances that happen yeah. and the guy just happened to be in the right place. And mm-hmm. God bless them. I wish I was in the right place, but you probably don't have the skills and you probably think it was you more than the opportunity. And the people that really learn how to realize, I don't think this is me or or get it that it isn't them can go on. And I tell people all the time, I've learned, I've got my best customers from my biggest failures, okay? And some of my best employees are people that we tangled with, right? Uh, So it's just, it really is, you got to have a thick hide. um, You got to be kind. You have to have fun. Guy said it to me yesterday. You always talk about fun. Business has got to be fun, okay? Uh, yeah. And you have to make it fun for your employees and you have to make it fun for your customers and you have to not be in a baton death march all the time. <laughs> That's a great way to put it because we can really be high strung, you know, earlier <laughs> yeah. on. Right. Yeah. And, and everyone else is sort of stuck in that in that, the wake of that, right? For yes. for us as leaders and business owners, everyone is sort of stuck in that wake. And uh, I was just talking with my wife about that. And there, because there, uh, and others, because there are times where, as a uh, as a leader or as the owner, you are going out and you're making things happen, and you're pushing yourself at a pace that few people can, if any can follow. And yet there are people that you have, you know, uh, wife, kids, I've got four myself. Can you say something about, cause you said you've got two kids. Yep. What can you say about balance when it comes to leadership and, and growing I, a business? I think it's easier today because it's more common. Uh, I was at my desk at seven 30 every day. Okay. And I stayed till four 30. Um, and I came on Saturdays or Sundays for two hours and my kids were in the conference room watching, uh, Ghostbusters or something that we had. All right. Uh, I think it's easier today. I think you can work from home. I think, uh, but what I did was I said, Hey, I'm coaching the fifth grade basketball team. I'm leaving at three. I'll make up for it. So go do those things because those are going to be the most important things. And those are just, those are soul filling. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, My kids asked me one time 
as they got older, they go, how did you do all this work and then come and coach baseball and do this? I go, well, I really love coaching baseball, right? So it's easy to get up for those things, uh, coaching basketball, doing all that stuff, playing catch. That stuff is easy to get up for. It's the mundane of the work that's hard. So it really refreshes you. You come back and you go, hey, man, I can go do this again. We had a conversation. Young man, Brian Davis, has taken over as president of the company. And uh, I hired him in 2000. uh, And he's been in almost every position. And he told me yesterday, he goes, you know, because he's taken over my job. Right. And there's somebody standing outside his door every second. Right. And now with these like uh, having to be on a not a podcast, but a conference call and teams and blah, blah, blah. You are just you're you're just in the cocoon and it's around you constantly. He said, I figured something out. I started working out every morning. He would come in at five thirty and six because it's quiet and he really got his day's work done. And he said, I'm going to the gym and I'm coming in at 7.30. And he goes, it's really changed my life. It's made me feel better. And I was just the opposite. I needed it at the end of the day. You have to figure out your personal thing. I had to work out at the end of the day because I had to get the day flushed out, right? Mm -hmm. But I also did something that this generation finds hard to do. And I have always. My phone is turned off at 5 o'clock. Now, I will talk to you at 5 in the morning or six in the morning because that's when i see it so they know they have to email my wife or call my wife (laughs) if they need me if it's important but i had a way of cutting it off and stayed focused because your wife also here's the other thing as we i've gone through the end of this and i speak at events my wife lived the steel business okay and your wife is living and your kids are living these things and because you can't get out of the way if you want to be successful um, and not successful, that's the wrong term. If you want to get to the place you have to go, there are certain things that you have to go about doing, okay? Yeah. And I balanced it okay. I'm, you'd have to kind of ask them. Uh, but for people that have uh, children that they want to bring into the business, uh, you know, in my book, I have a part of this. I was in the National Association of Steel Pipe Distributors, okay? And I ended up being the president. And what I saw in it, uh, are a bunch of family businesses, steel distributors. And I saw nine out of 10 of family in the business failed or had some dysfunction or had something that, yeah. as I was in there, wasn't attractive to see. Okay. And so I made a decision, my wife and I, that we didn't want the kids to be in the business. Okay. And we told them that, listen, go find something, go to college. Both my boys went to Mizzou. I love Mizzou. Um, and went to college and I said, go find something because this is a really hard racket we're in, man. It's it's the steel business. You talk about something that's painful is because the world affects it. Okay. China decides to create the entire world capacity, build the entire world capacity of steel. Well, how does that affect you? Well, they've got to send it someplace. And so we told our boys you couldn't do it. Uh, and then one of my kids graduated from college in like 06 or something. And the market was bad. And so the guys at work said, let's have Bo come in and just work in in, in January in the traffic department. Okay. Just as an intern. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Just I come said, on okay, in. Yeah. Yeah. But I said, he's not working here. And then a month went by, he was interviewing. And then they walked in my office and said, we want to hire him. And I said, you can't hire him. Okay. It's not yeah. happening. And I said, the only way you could hire him is you, if you put him in sales. And here's why. You eat what you kill in sales. Nobody can say your dad did this for you or you're either yes. good at it or not. Yes. So, and I said, you had the interview with Brian, who I just told you about. And Brian says, I want to hire him. And I said, okay. Um, but straight commission sales guy, he's going to eat what he's killed. He's either going to make it or he's not. Because, And then I made them... My, and then my other son came in, you know, like in February and said, how are you hiring Bo? I'm a better sales. I'm the best salesman in the Greg's family. Sort of guy. <laughs> now you got a little family rivalry going on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so AJ interviewed. We hired Bo. And then I made them sign an agreement. And it was, this is in my day, you've got a jacket on. I've got a jacket on. And I'm good or bad. You are how you look. Okay, I really believe that. And now I can wear a T-shirt, but I'm not wearing a T-shirt or something when I think I could run into somebody that would change my life. Okay, in an elevator. All right. Right. And I'm. We don't live in California, so um, it was how you dress. It was how you show up at work. It was sales things that I knew would make you successful. And there was about ten or twelve of them. I signed it, and they signed it, and I said. Um, if this shows up on your desk, you bring it in to me, okay? And we're going to have a conversation. And if I get three of these, you're fired, okay? And you, one thing they knew about me, the business is really important and it's not a family thing. I would fire them. And this is what I'd say. Listen, we're going to come at Thanksgiving dinner. They're all going to be sitting around the table. And little Parker is going to say, uh, Poppy, why, why isn't my dad work for you? And I go, well, he did, but he's stupid and didn't do this. Okay. <laughs> and I said that to them and they knew I would do it. Uh, and yes. that was the difference. And so both of them came to work for us. AJ is Brian is the president. AJ is going to be the sales manager and uh, VP of sales. Uh, Bo came to work for us. And then we started a family trucking business and he runs that and they're great kids. But I always say this to anybody that's listening in leadership on this. It's the parents' fault if it doesn't succeed. It's not the kids. And here's why. You have to fire them, and they never come back into the business. All right? And they have to know that. And I've been successful at it, and I told my kids, I said, listen, you're going to have this next problem, and it's how you handle it to whether your family can be in the business or not. All right? And if I had to let you go, two things were going to happen. My employees were going to love me because I had the cojones to fire my own kid. And secondly, uh, they knew that the business was the most important thing. So that's how I handle family. And that's in the book. Yeah. Wow. That That is so interesting because I've known so many people that have tried to have their kids come in and take over the business and the kids want nothing to do with the businesses. That's actually yep. far more the norm. And yes. you've got your kids fighting to, to come into the business, which is uh, really interesting. And I think you should tell the kids they can't be in the business because if they think they can't be in the business, they might yeah. get into the business. All right. 
that, because they great. don't want listen man they don't want a little bit of reverse psychology there yeah they don't want yeah. and the other thing is about 50 percent of all second generations fail maybe 70 yeah. percent and almost no third generations make it okay yeah so we know those stats we're in a we were in a family business um i've done a bunch of research on family businesses and you need yeah. to write contracts with the whole family. Once you get wives involved and other kids and grandkids, you just need to lay out what the outcome is and what people want from it. Okay. Mm. So there's a lot of professionalism that's involved in it, but it's the parent's job to be yeah. the person yeah. that leads that. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, considering you've built it from scratch yep. and they will never know truly what it took to get there to to get through that especially because it's that momentum that you have to build up right yeah. to get that going and it takes so much energy to get that the momentum going and then it it's much easier to to go from there so so let me ask you if you're as you're sharing about that with having kids and you know getting things in uh on paper are are you talking about and and now at this point in your life, have you got into all these other legal structures where you've had oh, to God, yes. talk about trusts and family trusts and all of these kind of things? Well, um, I was, uh, again, if you are in a, and I recommend anybody that's seriously about business that's running a business to get into their national trade association. And if you only have a regional one, get in that and then get in the national one. Okay, because you're going to, there's going to be different levels. I was a really young guy. I was probably 24 or five. And so some guys took me under their wing and liked me and some guys didn't. That's okay. But you learn from their experiences and you watch it, right? How it goes. And so I realized um, a couple, this is in the book too, a couple disastrous things that happened. Let's say you have a... $10 million business that makes $750,000 a year and you're 45 years old and you don't have a trust or you're 40 and you don't. Okay. And you die. What's going to happen to that business? You don't have a succession plan. Your kids are going to be 12. Your wife's going to panic. Okay. Even 30, you should have a plan. Okay. And your wife's going to panic and all the hard work that you've done is going to be sold for pennies on the dollar or it's going to go away. And secondly, you've left all your employees in a lurch. OK, you've really left everybody afraid. So in 2000, uh, we would have been in business for 17 years. I realized I needed a succession plan because my wife was never going to be involved in this. OK, it was not going to it just wasn't going to work. Right. Yes. So I wrote a succession plan and it was called what happens if Robert gets hit by a beer truck on the way to work. Okay. <laughs> yes. Because we're in St. Louis, you got Anheuser-Busch. Okay. It's a possibility. Yes. Right. And so I went through the things. I had a young partner that owned about 15%. I let him buy in because I needed, because we were really starting to grow and I needed somebody and he came from uh, he came from the ranks. I saw in him some great things. And so I wrote this. What happens? First of all, uh, our controller calls the bank and says, Rob, first of all, we have life insurance. OK, 
And that yes. life insurance was the lifeline that was given to the company so that uh, at the time it was probably $2 million. That $2 million was going to be loaned to Trinity as a buffer as the business moved forward, right? Yeah. So that let everybody know, and everybody in the company knew this. All right. I had all the managers and everybody. I want you to know what we're doing. And my wife sat in on these meetings. OK. And so that she felt comfortable. Vince Hassan, who was the VP of sales at the time and my partner that since bought him out, he wanted to get out, uh, would take over my role. He would first call the banks and say, Robert's passed away, but we have a life insurance policy on him, which we're going to execute. So don't worry. We would call our major vendors and we enlisted those vendors. Okay. And who you call and talk to and say, don't worry, Robert's made a plan for this. And then it would go down a little further and there would be 15 or 20 things that you would want to happen. And then we would review it every year. We showed it to our bank and our yearly bank meeting and our banks were flabbergasted that we did this. They go, I see hundred million dollar companies with no secession plan. I go, well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you want to orchestrate uh, something good for your family, right? And so yeah. they they loved us, and I loved us, and I felt good that I had taken care of my family. And then every year we updated it, and uh, you know we sent it to people it was part of financial packages, and we yeah. left the name. What happens if Robert Gurigs gets hit by a beer truck? Because it makes you laugh when you hear it the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because what I found, and I continue to find this is that as people are building, as they're focused, you know, entrepreneurs are really trying to be tunnel focused and it isn't until you start getting to certain levels and right. then you happen to have a conversation with someone that yep. then you get one piece here and one piece there and you, you find yourself sitting there thinking, why have I, why am I only hearing about this now? Why did I hear about this, you know, a decade well, the ago? Is you're not around enough educated people. And, you know, right, I'm going right. to hold this up, this book. This yes. is a roadmap. Okay. And if you're not foundational studying, leadership, this is the book that, that you've just uh, authored. Yep. If you're not, I'm a studier. Uh, uh, listen, I read a lot. And then I got into, when this is going to sound weird because it's probably cassettes. Uh, that's how old I yes. am. Yes. Yes. So, all right. So I would get uh, Dale Carnegie and I would put a yes. Dale Carnegie in and that's what I would listen to on the way to work. Okay. And so I'm a real student of business and I learned a lot and everything in this book or all the things I've ever done in this I've stolen. Okay. Almost yes. nothing. Now the only, um, Thing that I have done in this is I put three or four things together in a model and yes. I've written about it to say I've combined this and this and this and this and here's how you can do it. So that's the only thing I've done. I've stole from Dale Carnegie. I've stole from uh, I, I've stole every line I ever had. Uh, Brian, yeah. he's a Canadian. Uh, Eat the frog. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Eat the there? frog. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I stole that. That's one of my favorites. I actually have a little frog that I give to everybody that joins the company. I love right? it. And I set it on their desk and I go, this is how the world works. How would you eat a frog? And they look at me and go, I don't know. And I go, you're not nibbling. Okay. You're taking big bites. All right. Yeah. You're getting it over with. 
problems or frauds, okay? You attack them first thing in the morning, you go solve it, you get it over with, and then your day is free. You're going to get a 30 second or a minute or two minute punishing. And then what the customer is going to say to you is this. Now, how do we solve this? Yeah. All right. So you do that every morning and you focus on those and then your day is cleared up to be productive. Okay. And that's something we do at Trinity. And I used to make people write the three frogs down uh, in the morning on a piece of paper. And I'd go, I want three frogs on your desk. Yes. You would sit down. The last thing you did every day, we would send out an email or a note that says, write your three frogs down. Okay. And write it on your desk at 430. And when you got there in the morning, you would look down at and you go, okay, I'm I'm finishing it. And once you once you really master that skill, gosh, you become so productive. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It, It. What you're saying is such truth. And, you know, guys, as you're listening to this, this is a very powerful lesson because oftentimes people will actually try to avoid, right? They're they're like, oh, I'm going to build up to get to to dealing with those problems as opposed to take those on. And and it's amazing how much uh, freer day is. Plus, if if you actually tackle those problems, then... They're gone. <laughs> and and your customers your customers love you for it. They hate yeah. you for 30 seconds, but then yes. they go, hey, Robert always calls me in advance when there's a problem. And then I yes. have a way to maneuver around it. And then, yes. you know, in the beginning, it was painful. But as we got going, I go, if I cost you something, all right, and this cost you, I'm going to yeah. pay for it. And, mm. and it, it started to give customers... Who do you want to deal with? You want to deal with the person that's giving you the problem? Sometimes yes, I would yes. say, I would call in advance and they go, I'm a little worried about this one. And my customer would go, you're scaring me. And I go, listen, man, I'd rather you be scared two weeks in advance yes, because of something that's happening. I'm not sure it's going to happen. We're going to work the weekends. We're going to do all these things. And so they got used to it and they really appreciated it. And then you build this relationship where you're a partner with them where yes. they can execute on their frog, right? You're not a frog of theirs, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, it's very interesting. I found that a lot of people talk about sales process. And, and one of the things that I found when dealing with investors and clients is I always love to go to the worst case scenario. I always love to tell them, you know, here's the worst of it. And if you can live with that, then I can tell you all the rest. And as a result, and you can live with all the rest. And and as a result, I found that I've never had to really dodge and worry about these these conversations because people know that I'm going to tell them whatever it is. And it builds a different level of trust when someone knows that you're not afraid to tell them honestly what's the problem, how you failed, how yep. you've messed up and what you're going to do to, to write the ship. They're willing to ride along with you. You know, that what's that saying? Uh, ride or die. They're willing yeah. to ride or die with you. Right. So here's the thing, particularly in this banking climate that we're in right yes. now. Uh, it's, mm. it's, you know, my suggestion is, man, you need to have uh, a relationship with your bank. I always told my bankers, 
you're going to hear the bad news really fast. And before it happens, I don't worry about the good news because you'll find out about the good news. And yes. guess what? They have people that hide from them that they have to call and tell, hey, man, I think you're in trouble. You probably know it. but you." So they didn't worry about me. OK. Yes. And they knew when I called, they would come out and we were going to have a solution. We were going to have a, a, a way. I already had an idea in mind, but they were going to be part of the team and they were going to have partially a say in how it worked. And so uh, that just comes from telling the truth and being honest. And, yes. and you know, we have another important thing that this is going to be really hard uh, for leaders. And so this is something, man, this took me a long time. This took me so long in my life to figure out, okay? Um, and partially it came from the 80s and 90s uh, because I think, uh, business was a little slicker and meaner and they didn't, I, I think it, there was a period of less ethicalness. All right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, in 2000 or probably 95 or 205, whatever it is, I realized, and I told my employees, if you lie, you're fired. Okay. Got my management group in and I said, guys, and they go, Robert, this is crazy. Why are you even saying this? This makes people think that we lie. And I said, I'm not talking about lying. This is, and let me state it this way. Customer calls you and says, hey, Robert, did my pipe get on the truck? And without knowing or asking or following up, you say, yes, your pipe got on the truck. Or it didn't or you don't know and you're afraid to tell them the truth. So what I learned is, and take this to the bank, okay, for sure. Uh, the lie is worse than the mistake. And you lose, people lose confidence in you, okay? Yes. Uh, I just had a friend of mine, Jim Nazzoli, who's our COO, who's retiring. And he asked me, he had a, a financial advisor that he asked a question of, what did our market make and what was it? And the guy lied to him about the S&P and he went and searched it and looked at it. He goes, I don't trust the guy anymore. Okay, so here's the thing. And I tell Mizzou people, uh, I tell, this is the thing. If you lie, you're fired. Now, there is, I learned, because everybody panicked and said, oh, my God, you're going to fire everybody. There won't be anybody working here. And I said, no, let me tell you how this works. You can recant, right? So if you knew that you got put in a bind, okay, or you panicked, you were on the phone, you said, yes, Bill. All you have to do is hang the phone up, call Bill back and say, Bill, I made a mistake. Let me get back to you. OK. And then you put the phone down and then you go into your boss and say, listen, I panicked and I said this and nothing will happen. OK. And so now it takes a little while for people to start to get the confidence. But I had people have a lot of confidence in me. All right. We were leading during some tough times. And I say culturally. You know, you don't have to lie. All you have to do is tell the truth. You're out of jail. And then you have a solution for it. But I don't know why people answer poorly. And so now how many people have I fired for lying? Okay. Probably. Ooh, okay. Tell probably us. Probably three. All right. This is my greatest one of all times. Um, a salesman at Workforce was an older guy. And I helped him close a lot of deals at the time. And all the salesmen kind of resented him a little bit because I'd go, Martin, or give me that, you know, I'll call the customer for you. So 
we were in an argument with GTE, okay, the te telephone company here about mm -hmm. rates. That's when they charge you per minute. It, yes. This, so this was a ways back. All right. Yes. And we were doing an audit on their minutes because they were supposed to be charging us seven cents and they charge us nine cents. So it's okay. a Friday okay. afternoon. I'm going home and my accounting gal called me and she said, listen, I got to tell you something. They've are overcharged us $55,000. Well, Jiminy, that was a lot of money. Okay. Yeah. A lot of money back then. And she said, but I got something else to tell you that's worse. I go, what's that? She goes, one of the sales guys has called time and temperature in Anchorage, Alaska, 4,000 times. And we had part of our goals were making a certain number of phone calls every day, right? You had to make 30 calls a day. You had to get 15 touches. Okay. That was part of our sales plan. And Martin was all, uh, he was always way at the top. And I used to brag on him all the time. I go, Martin makes all his calls. Martin is one of the top sales guys. His close numbers are good. His margins are good. And so I called Vince, the VP of sales, and I said, Martin has made 4,000 calls to time and temperature in Anchorage. You're gonna, we're going to fire him Monday morning. And he said, you're firing him? And I go, yeah, either you're firing him, I'll fire him happily. He's lied to us. So I'm going to this NASPD convention, and here's where the world is always tiny. Okay, in your industry, there are no secrets. So we're at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. There's the Oak Bar in the basement. I walk in on a Thursday. I stick my head in, and I see three or four guys. They go, come over here. We'll buy you a beer. We sit down, and we're 15 minutes in. He goes, hey, man, there's a crazy story going around. Some sales guy called time and temperature 1,000 times. <laughs> And I laugh and I go, I got to tell you, it's 4,000. It's me. Yeah. Uh, and, and so two things happen. I'm not embarrassed. Yes. Uh, we, we kept our end of the bargain. And I learned that, really learned that you have to build goals that are constructive for people. And it was the beginning of us doing uh, a lot more forward thinking. I was just an old school numbers guy because that's how I was taught and grew up. And that just isn't yeah. how it has to work. Okay. So that's a rule that we adopted and has yeah. worked, worked well. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. A couple of quick questions that I've got to ask you because I also want to talk some more about the book, but why steel? Why steel pipes? I get into that in the first place. <laughs> Uh, I answered an ad in the newspaper. Okay. You answered an ad. You were thinking, what do I do next? And you answered an ad in the newspaper. Uh, and so I go to St. Louis, uh, answer an ad for a steel company, go in an interview. And my buddy, Mike Goody, was a roommate of mine there, interviewed, and we both got hired. And it was telemarketing, and I was good at it, uh, immediately good at it, right? Uh, Sold a lot, did really well. Here's the part of the story where for leaders, I want to tell you. So I sold one of the biggest deals I'd ever done, 5,000 feet of 48-inch pipe off the Alieska pipeline. And I was making $700 a month plus commissions in 19, oh God, 78. Wow. Yeah, right? that's great right. money. Yeah. So, and you can't even get a hamburger for $700 in New York City now, right? <laughs> <laughs> or Toronto or wherever you're Yes, at. that's right. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, and so I was getting going to get a $5,000 commission check at Christmas. And it was the first big check I'd ever gotten. Okay. And so I get the envelope uh, on December 20th or something. And there was a $25 bonus check in it. So I called my boss, Bill Boyer, the associate of Pipe, and said, Bill, what the heck's going on? We didn't get paid until our customers paid, which I was totally okay with. But I had sold this to Valley Steel in St. Louis, Missouri. And Valley Steel was $200 million in 1978. Yes. We're $300 million today, 45 years later. And Steel was a third of the price. So they would have been a billion dollars. They were huge. Uh, The guy that ran the office had worked there. And so I, in those days, listen, you were, we were all ballsy. So I call Valley Steel. There's a switchboard. And I say, give me uh, the controller. Um, Gosh, I can't remember his name right now, but I usually do. And I said, Bill, I go, I got to be honest with you. Why didn't you pay associated because they owed me a commission and he goes ask your boss how much money he owes me okay so i called bill and i said uh the controller told me that you haven't been paying your bills and that's the reason he hasn't paid me so you should have paid me and he said well they didn't pay me and so i walked into my boss's office sales manager said i'm quitting and he said to me I don't like these guys, let's leave together. And we started with, there was uh, three of us and I scraped up $5,000. We started with $15,000 and we went and started buying steel. Um, And that's how we got started. Now, uh, so I didn't have anything to lose, but I was really good at sales. I just, it was a natural thing for me. And so uh, one of the partners lasted a year and he left. So Sal and I were together for the 17 years. I bought him out in 1993 because uh, he didn't really want to grow. So here's I'm going to tell you a quick story that's attached to that because you asked how I got in the business. In 90, we started in 79. In 93, uh, we sold $2.1 million. And Sal didn't want to grow anymore. And so I said, Sal, I'll buy you out. And he was really kind. He figured out how much he wanted. He let us me pay him back over time. All right. So we let's fast forward seven years to 2000. All right. Yes. And in 2000, we sold $6.7 million from 2.1, 300% growth. Right. Yeah. And then in 2000, I figured out, man, I've been doing this a long time and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. So I'm going to move away from the screen for a second. I saw a friend of mine that was really successful and I asked him, I said, listen, man, you really feel calm about your business and you really feel successful. What do you do? He says, come to my office. And I said, okay. So he, as soon as I sat down, he said this, the great game of business by Jack Stack. Okay. It's open book management and it's sharing profit. So he gave me this book and I went home immediately and I read it and I go, oh my God, I love this. And then I read it again, okay? So I finished it in the weekend. Then I read it during the week, and I go, this is who I am, and here's why. What happens in open book management, you teach everybody that is employed how to run a business, and you show them how hard it is, and you put them in a bonus plan where if we get X percent results, 
I'll share, and ours was 20% of the profits. Okay. So okay. you built you build this through the system. You have financial literacy meetings. They learn. Uh, and Jack came back to me and said, I said, Jack, this is really scary. He goes, Robert, everybody always thinks it's better than it is and it's worse than it is. And when you tell them reality, they start to learn the business cycles. They become business people and they really worry less when it's bad. They realize they ask the questions and we go, what's stopping us? And we go China or interest rates or the, there's a recession or any of those things. And so you start to treat them. So 10 years later, uh, so that in 10, so 20 to 10, we had sold $67 million using open book management. So 6.7, isn't that weird? 6.7 to 67. Um, yeah. Every time I say it, people go, you fake that number, but it's true. Um, and But I hit another block. I go, you just can't count rolls of paper and you just can't reduce cost. You have to be able to teach people because guys would ask me, what more could I do to affect the business, right? What, what can yeah. I do? And I yeah. would say, well, uh, it's not work harder. The average business guy goes work harder. People work hard, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. give them some tools. So I'm in Vistage and I highly recommend Vistage. That's a national uh, CEO leader. If you're not, okay, be in a national association and join a Vistage or group of that kind, all right? Because if you look at everything Warren Buffett says, the number one thing is learn more, okay? educate yourself, become an expert. Okay. And it doesn't happen overnight. So I saw something called the cycle of success, COSI, the Vistage meeting. And it was a dumbed down version of continuous improvement. And I'm like, bam. Okay. All I have to do now is go to continuous improvement. We paid probably $75,000, which was an enormous amount of money for me in 10. And they spent a year teaching all of us continuous improvement. And they came every month and spent two days. And then we had classes that we held during the week. And number one, we are one of the best practitioners of open book management in America. Okay. okay. I will tell you none. Jack Stack says mm -hmm. that his people that work for him say that. John Case says that. Harvard, we do this absolutely marvelously. And what we've added on to it is in continuous improvement. And we are experts at it, okay? Now, here's what happens, what scares people with continuous improvement. I'm around a lot of engineers and they go, we need to be a black belt. We need to do da, da, da. We need to have all these things, really continuous. And it's, it's a little scary for a business owner who's a sales guy or whatever you are. Really, this is what continuous improvement is. What are we not doing right? What can we do to get better? And what can I do to make your job easier? Those three questions, okay? You put them on a list. You organize, prioritize, and monetize those things, all right? And mm -hmm. then you fix them. And the other thing, you ask the guys that are doing the job. So if it's welders, we get all the welders in the room. What's not working? And then what happens in this slow process, you fix all the things for them. So you take barriers away from them. Right. So when we go to what our target numbers are or critical numbers in our bonus plan, they have ways to fix those now. They have tools. OK. And they understand how to make another widget 
and they come in and say, Robert, I don't need this. I need you to allow me to start work 15 minutes earlier so I can have the machine running for when all the guys show up. Right, right. I should have done that. All right. They're so, coming up with it. Yes. And, and, and they're tied into the financial part as well now. And now they know how to control the financial part. And they see all the, we publish our uh, daily sales and income statement every day to everybody in the company. They all see it because there's nothing to yeah. be afraid of. If it's bad, it's bad. If it's good, it's good. We're all going to, we're all in it together. So you now have everybody rowing the boat, man, in the correct direction. And yeah. I have a saying, you don't have to drink this Kool-Aid. You don't have to drink the open book management Kool-Aid or the continuous improvement Kool-Aid. Just don't get in the way of the people that are drinking it, okay? Keep your mouth shut and and reap the rewards. Uh, right. If you're, if you're not rowing with them, you will be gone because we only want people that row in our yeah. direction, okay? Yeah. And so let me give you the magic pill on that. 2000, okay. 2000 6.7. 2010, 67 million. 2022, 275 million. 300 plus million this year. So how do you go from 6.7 in 22 years to 300 million bucks? Open book management. Yeah. All right. Do we start it with that? Continuous improvement. And it's all in this book. And and I will tell Foundational you. Foundational leadership. Yeah, we've grown yeah. 118% a year for 22 years. Wow. Now, when I calculated that, because I wrote this book and I'm writing a little intro for the book, I calculated and I came up with 118%. And I said, that cannot be right. Okay. So I did it three times. Then I walked into Brian Davis's, the new president's office. And I said, calculate this for me, but don't tell me now. I want you to email it to me. And I went to our CFO and said, Calculate this because I want you to email to, to me. Because I was stunned at 118%, right? And yeah. it's all done organically. We haven't bought anyone, okay? Which is even more impressive. We're in the precipice yeah. now of starting to acquire companies and run open book management with continuous yeah. improvements. So when I tell you that we're going to a billion, we're going to get there. I don't know if it's five years or 15 years. And it really doesn't yeah. matter because we're teachers. We're, we're teachers of business. And why, and so why write the book? Why, why write the book if, if everything's going in that direction? Um, because that, that has to have taken you a fair amount of time to get into the book. I've had 50 people, because you've listened to me for 48 minutes and 42 seconds now. Do you <laughs> like what I have to say? Yeah, absolutely. So I've had 50 people say, write a book. Right. And it happened. And um, so I'll tell you the story. Right before COVID, two years, uh, one of my really good friends goes, I've known you forever, man. I love everything you say. And I see all the great things you're doing. And I know what you do for your employees and all this you should write a book. So I finally said, okay. So I yeah, called right. a friend of mine um, uh, who's written part of the book and he puts me in touch with John Case, uh, the uh, open book management professor from Harvard. And I got, he got, and John and these guys said, I can't write it for you and I won't publish it, but I'll kind of veer you into the direction, but you mm -hmm. need to write the book first, right? You need to have something. 
So I got on planes for a year and I would open my laptop and listen, there's no better time of secluded time than sitting over by the window in two hours and two and a half hours and sometimes four hours and just writing and just telling your story. Uh, it was very easy. Uh, and then I got to about 20,000 words and I hadn't got to the end of the book yet because the end of the book wasn't done because part the end of the book is this. How do you get out? It's easy to get into business and I'm 67 and it's hard to get out. So it hadn't happened yet, the end. So yeah. my IT guy, Ross, calls me and says, COVID is just happening. He goes, hey, your, your laptop is really old. Do you want a new laptop? And I said, sure. Who doesn't want a new laptop? All right. Uh, and so I got on my plane during COVID because we still flew around and we would, we're construction guys. So you kind of meet outside and, and there was nobody on planes. And I opened my laptop and I had not saved my Word document to the cloud. It had been on my laptop and I lost 20,000 words. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I'm a no backup. I'm a pragmatist, and I told Shelly, my wife, and I said, it just wasn't meant to be, and it's okay. Yes. All right. Yes. You know, what are you going to do? You can't do anything. It's life. It's a, it's a, I, I opened a lot of these things. Hey, guys, save your stuff to the cloud, particularly <laughs> an old guy. Okay, you all right. are always doing it because you're better at it. Um, and then COVID happened, and I was flying around, and I thought, you know what? You're... And so I rewrote it. And I wrote 24,000 words. Um, and my publisher said, it's better the second time. <laughs> so I get a cold call and I get them all the time. And I, listen, I can, after the first sentence, I go, no, thank you. Or I listen to the third sentence. And this guy goes, hey, I've been looking at you online and we're looking for somebody in the steel industry to write a book. Um, and it was Forbes Books, okay? Yes. Um, Advantage Books is division of Forbes. And I, this is a moment, you, you know the Twilight Zone? No, 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 no. I go, this is really weird. And I asked him after we got a little further down the road, are you listening to people that say I'm writing a book and then you know, series listening or something. So I told him, I said, listen, man, I've got 24,000 words. I've already written a book and uh, met him and got started and got with a ghostwriter. I interviewed five or six guys. I had one guy that was perfect for me, but this yeah. is where experience comes in. He was exactly me. Okay. He was, uh, had lived in Boston and had moved to Atlanta and Everything I said, he had mirrored his career, basically. Yeah. And I go, I can't have somebody like me. I have to have somebody different. Right, okay? right. And yeah. I, I made a decision, a young man that had written several uh, kind of religious pieces. And it didn't, that didn't bother me either way. I just knew he yeah. was very honest, had a good heart, and he was 30, right? And had a couple of kids. And so... He was going to look at it from a 30-year-old's perspective because you have to write this for people so that they can connect and they can get a good feel for it. And he's going to add some things in it that is going to make that easier. So he and I, every Friday afternoon, this is also weird, I would lay in my bed. I would have a laptop on my chest with him. 
he we were building chapters and I had the earplugs in and I would just talk to him for an hour to two hours. He goes, I've written chapter. We started in the middle of the book because I don't know why he said it's easier to start in the middle. Right. Okay. And we would go through a chapter and it was great. And then it ended up, you know, we got it published. I paid to have it published because here's what the guys told me, and I'm doing this badly. You're never going to make any money writing a book unless you're one of those guys, right? But right. what I knew is Trinity has a really good story. Yes. And I was an older guy who, who was looking to sell his business or get out. And as we grow, as I told you, we're at 300 grand organically or three, 300 million. As we get to a billion, we're going to meet people that say, I want to sell my business. But who do they want to sell their business to? Because when you go to sell your business, you want your employees taken care of. And you want to understand that you're doing something because it's really precious to you. It's really, really important. And so I realized that writing this book, it's a little self-serving. It's actually embarrassing, okay, in a, in a way. Uh, I'm not walking around handing the book out, okay? Right, but, right. Um, but it was a business card for Trinity and something that I created and something that I totally know that works. Got to tell you something. Not many people can say over 22 years you've grown 118% and have audited financial statements to prove it and actually right. never met, made one acquisition. Not right. one. Yeah. And so yeah. that I understood by doing that, it will help Brian and the Trinity bring people in. And there's a lot of baby boomers that have to figure out how to get out of business. Okay? Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's what I end up doing. And it's also... Um, something for my grandkids to look at and and read and say, your dad and I accomplished this. Um, yes. Since my kids have come on, we've grown more than I ever did before. So I have to give them as leaders and people compliments and all the other people that are leaders here. Yeah. Well, let me ask you now, just a question is, you went from you know, having very little scrap, putting money together to get it all started. Now you've got, you know, now you guys are over 300 million and, yep. and I'm sure that now that people know that you have money, people are probably coming up to you often asking for either you to get into business with them or talking about different opportunities. Is, is that a normal and occurrence and what's what's that like what's that like for you but also um a piece that i sort of want to touch on there is that sometimes people as they're starting out they don't know how to communicate perhaps those ideas so what's that like for you if it happens and and what are the things that you like about when people bring ideas to you or don't like about it well, um, I really stay in the lane of the things that I understand, okay? Yeah. And, and because Warren Buffett says this as, as well, stay, stay in what you know because you'll, you'll excel at it. Now, I'm still, I have one product called Trilock that I started seven years ago that I, we've got a patent on. And so I'm still in the business just a hair yeah. and I got a provisional patent uh, in the EU and UK. 
And so I am still in the business a little bit. Uh, yeah. But I don't have a lot of people come to and ask me to invest. I really okay. don't. Um, and most of the people that I'm associated, if, if it wasn't investment, it would be more of a syndication. They would yeah. say, hey, would you like to buy into this group of buildings? Okay. Yeah. And I say, sure, I would buy into that. I look at the plan. I got one of those today that I like because I think real estate, commercial real estate, is going yes. to be a really, really big investment for the next year yes. or two. And I yes. want to say one other thing. It doesn't bother me. I'm involved with uh, MU Kids. Um, if you go to robertlgriggs.com, you'll see that we've funded uh, what's called the Griggs, um, the Griggs Entrepreneurial Nexus. Okay, there to help entrepreneurs. So I get the the what's the right word? I get the high of seeing all these kids. Yeah. and helping them and they call me and I talk them through it. Yeah. And so I get, the, I get the buzz from seeing all these young kids and yeah. helping yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, and, and it, so it feeds on that. But the other thing I think is interesting for people that make money, listen, man, I, money, money doesn't, money doesn't affect me. It doesn't mean anything to me. Okay. Uh, it's just, I wouldn't change my house and I live in a really nice house and, yeah. Uh, now, I will tell you, I drove a Toyota Sequoia, uh, a 2002 for 23 years with 340,000 miles. But I was also driving into a pipe yard every day. OK. Yes. And I do have nice cars, uh, but I'm not a car guy. And I got a nice house and we like to travel and we go places. So money just hasn't affected me whatsoever. And I, I it would hurt if I didn't have some. OK, I, I, yeah. I agree with yeah. that. But. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll tell you what I will do. I'm going to help people. Yeah. We're part of Greek family charitable trust, which I recommend everybody get involved. I've donated to Mizzou probably over a million dollars over the course of my life. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I do that is because uh, they really, it really changed my life. That place changed my life. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's funny. I, I was actually speaking at a. Um, I'm I'm in real estate, multifamily real estate conference, and uh, I was on a panel, and they were asking me some of these questions. And someone was asking a question about money, and I, and one of the things that I said to them was this. I said, "You have to have something beyond money. There has to be something more than money, because money won't be enough." The moment your bills are paid for, the moment that kind of stuff is taken care of, you'll be done if you don't have some sort of reason beyond that. Because being in real estate, you can hug a you can hug an apartment building, yep. but it's not going to hug you back. Nope. Right. Yep. So that that is something, and and I know a lot of people really think that that's what's going to do it, and there's probably maybe less than 3% of the population that are really driven really driven by that by money and then and then everyone else it's what it allows you to do and what it, the time it allows you to buy back if you're driven by money you will probably and this is just a generalized statement fail because here's yeah. why money comes and goes now we'll tell right. you once you've learned how to make money it's easier to make money the second time okay and the third time, 
And some people, I think it's just a sugar high, right? Uh, I need this deal. And then what's the next deal? And what's the next deal? I am more of a structural guy. I would rather have a process in place uh, that executes on money because, listen, uh, you know, we're doing some refinancing right now. And I'm sitting and talking to them and we haven't closed yet. And here's what I, I told my guys. Guys. Don't do anything cute between now and the close, because here's why. There could, uh, the, Russia could bomb that nuclear power plant in Ukraine. And right. the moment that happens, there will be no deals for two weeks or two months. Okay? We can't control any of that. Uh, when the uh, Afghan war, or not Afghan, when the Iraqi war happened, I didn't write an order for six weeks. I was scared to death, man. And you don't know what happens. And now there's so much information that people become paralyzed. So I I just, there's most of um, the things that have held us back, none of them were in our control, mostly. Uh, There were just things that happened. And I will tell you, I'm going to leave you with this because this is a prediction I have. And I feel so strongly about it that it's incredible. There is, we have... We have controlled inflation for 30 years in America, okay? And it's been 2%. It never gets over 2%. And you don't get the high of appreciation, but you also have some consistencies. This little thing that's happening right now is going to be one of the greatest things that ever happened to everybody involved here. And here's why. People had to buy their house, had to refinance their house, and have to pay more money and these interest rates are not going to stay, stay where they're at. If you're making a profit right now, our loans have gone from three and a half percent to five, going to be six or six and a half or some number, right? Yeah. Well, once rates start to come down, guess what's going to happen? Our profitability is going to go up by nothing that we've done. Okay? Absolutely. And when you know my son ended up having to buy a house to be in a certain school district. He's going to pick up $700 a month and he's going to feel rich. And that's not just him. That's everybody in America. So right. I don't know when that happens, but I would say uh, 25. Yes. We are going to see one of the biggest booms we've ever seen. Uh, we we had two bills and I give President Biden credit for this. I'm not a political guy. I, I go there a lot, but I watch it. It's a mess. But he got the infrastructure deal passed. For the first time in 25 years, no Republican could have gotten that done. They, the other side wasn't going to let a Republican have an infrastructure deal. Right. right. And he got the green bill done on wind and all that. And that is coming in and he got the chip bill done. All right. So there is a massive amount of construction and things going on in America that is going to keep us going for five years. And it's probably 10 because what used to take two years to build now takes four because of permitting and things. Right. We're going to have a truce between oil and green, which needs to happen. Uh, there's going to be carbon capture, okay, which is part of the green thing. And so you're going to see a run here pretty soon that we haven't seen in a long time, okay? And yeah. I. And it's not going to be any of our doing. We're going to think it's our doing, okay? But its interest rates have gone from five to three, okay? And the Fed's going to say, listen, unemployment, 
5% unemployment used to be fully employed, man, in America. Right. When you said we're we're at 3.5%. And the other thing that this has driven us to as business owners is to get more efficient. We're buying more robots. We're, we're investing. We at Trinity have spent about $14 million in the last 24 months on new technology, new buildings. We've redone our pipe mill. We've redone everything. We're going to be better. But the reason we did it is not to take jobs away, is to make jobs easier so somebody wants to do those jobs. When I talked to you earlier, um, you go, what isn't working? How can we make the customer's experience better? And what would make your job easier? Okay? So yeah. you want to come to work, right? And yeah. we're doing hard things. Uh, in the steel business, if you looked at our site, we're welding and it's hot and it's dirty and it's blah, blah, yeah. blah. But we need those things. And so right. single-handedly, AI is going to be the fourth industrial revolution. And what we've got going on right now is going to be a boon for the for the world. Okay. And America and Canada, you are our friends. I do a lot of business in Canada. I love you guys. I, I mean, it's not little brother, big brother. It's we're a family, okay? Um, it, and we think of in America, we think of it that way. I don't know if you think of yeah. it that way, but we think of you all as us, right? Whether yeah. that's good or Thank bad. You. And um, it's going to be a boon. It's going to be the biggest boon all our kids have ever seen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I agree with you there. Um, being in real estate, you know, with all of these, all of the changes, all, whether people are working remotely in that one of the things that we love is multifamily real estate I'm you know and uh, private lending these kind of things we're we're definitely in a position where right now people are sort of having less and less so it's giving us a competitive edge right if you're willing to reinvest if you've had money on the sidelines to be yep. able to to do that stuff but you know, so so I, I love what you're sharing there. And what I think is important, guys, for you guys listening is, you know, this is not somebody off of the street. This is someone that, you know, Robert has built a massive business and has uh, been able to help so many people and has done it for a long period of time and being able to have been through many of the ups and downs. So when you hear that, you know, really take note, you know, Robert. Uh, the book is available on Amazon, uh, Foundational Leadership by Robert Griggs. Guys, go check it out. Uh, you know, thank you very much for coming on. And any parting words that you'd like to share? Oh, gosh. It's, it, you know, this is not work for me sitting and talking to you for an hour and a <laughs> minutes, okay? Because it's my life and I lived it and, and yes. I want everybody to have success. All I would ask you is this, and this is I've learned from the publishing business, Okay is if you buy this book or read this book, put a review on Amazon, okay? Because the only way the book gets any uh, heft from Amazon is to get to 40 or 50 reviews, okay? okay? And personally, if it's a bad review, I don't really care because they look at, but I wrote this book for one reason. Somebody that reads it that's a businessman or is a person that works on the floor or works in a leadership position, you're going to take something from this book that you will use the first day you read it, okay? Wow. You'll, 
you'll put it practically in your business or if you have the ability to do it, okay? If it's yeah. just taking a critical number for your team, what's your personal critical number, right? What moves, what moves the needle? So you will walk away from things. And if you have a business and you want to grow, this is an outline that I got to tell you, and I mean this sincerely, I thought I'd screwed up on the calculation. 118% growth for 22 right. years. I was sitting there going, well, Jesus Christ, I might like myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what, what, uh, if, with your permission, I'd love to uh, get a copy and, and send it down to you and maybe, maybe get you to, to sign that copy. I'm going to tell you something. I'm mailing yeah. one to you, okay? And I want you, to, I want you to have it. And here's why: this has become Trinity's business card, okay? Love it. Thank you. And you <laughs> will say, "Hey, I read this. It it might do something for your business." I talk about yeah. uh, finding, uh, writing a succession plan, informing your family, uh, the trust. I talk about all these things, and eventually. Yeah. You're young, but you're going to have to get out of business. And what's yeah. the exit strategy to maximize that? Okay. Yeah. And so I, cause I've just done that and I sold the company. I tried to sell it and then I didn't like what I was feeling. And so I sold the company two years ago in an ESOP. Okay. Yeah. So everybody's the owner uh, and it's a beautiful strategy. And if you read this, for any owners in a business, we start at the beginning, we give them things in the middle, and then we also talk, which people don't talk about very often, how are you going to exit? And I truthfully tell them what people are going to say to them when they try to sell their business, okay? And that is, I'm trying to buy something for the cheapest amount I can buy it, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Don't That's get your feelings hurt, buddy, okay? Yeah. <laughs> because you would do the same thing, but they Absolutely. don't hear they don't hear that very often, right? And right. they're selling a child or they're selling something they're passionate about, and they go, "I'm not getting what it's worth." It is what it's worth is what somebody's willing to pay. Okay, that's right. And I tell the things in the book that will increase your value of your business because people want to buy a leadership team. Okay, they want that's what they want to buy, uh, and with a business attached to it. So that's right. Man, it's, it's been wow. great talking to you. It's been a super duper pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing. Oh my goodness. You, you shared 67 years in, yep. in an hour. And I know that we could have probably gone on to any one item and, and been there for that same amount. So uh, yep. thank you so much for sharing guys. Uh, go make sure you uh, check out the show notes. We'll have links for the book. Uh, foundational leadership and uh, please go check out Robert in uh, social media. We'll, we'll also share those links, including his LinkedIn. And uh, again, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show and yep. guys, thank you for uh, joining us on yep. another episode of the leadership to wealth. Podcast. Take care.